0: being able to hear and hear voices and so on. And uh, when our uh, one child, she's Juliana, was born, number six, um, when she was born, they took her over to the nursing station there, and she was just screaming and crying, and they got her all wrapped up, and she was still screaming. And I went over, and I just started talking to her. And her, she just stopped, and it went like this. And I realized, yeah, all the talking we had done to her in the womb, she recognized my voice. It's so true. so true. My name is Bob Bramhill. I'm from Canada. Anybody here from Canada? I see something. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Well, I'm from Gory, a little place near Wingham, Ontario, near Listowel. I've often said Gory is just close to glory, but... uh, a nice place to live. I pastored there. What I'll do is I'm going to share a little bit of my testimony for a couple of minutes so you kind of get to know where I'm coming from. I pastored that church there in Gori for, for 15 years. And during the last part of that time pastoring, I uh, got into more and more counseling, helping people across the table. And I really enjoyed that, but I also became very frustrated with it. Because especially when you're dealing with a troubled marriage, you could bring it so far. And uh, what do you do with this problem? And so I would end up sending them off to marriage counselors, ones that I knew. And uh, I, I got more frustrated with that because they'd come back with advice that wasn't helping them and they weren't getting help. And I really came to a point I had nowhere to send anybody. Which really made me stop and ask questions. Like, here we are. We say we have the answers to life, we have the answers to death, but somewhere between life and death, we're not doing a very good job of solving problems. The divorce rate inside the church is no different than outside. At least it is in Canada, I don't think it's any worse down, or any better down here. And I started praying, Lord, something is really wrong if you want me to pursue this whole area of helping people, you're going to have to open the doors. I don't have a clue where to go. I could go back to school and learn what I really don't see working. So it was one of those prayers you pray in desperation and life goes on. Well, I continued pastoring and, and my sister and brother-in-law, my sister played the piano here and my brother-in-law is leading the singing. And, and uh, they came along and they had been struggling in their marriage from the very beginning, 18 years at that time. And, uh, They wanted to resolve the issues that kept them way out here with each other. I worked with them some. You can't work with your sister very well anyway. And so, make a long story short, they got recommended to a counselor in Indiana. And so they phoned him up, told him a little bit of their story, and he said to them, well, I'll tell you what, I know somebody better than me for what you're dealing with. He said, if you go see John Regeer in Colorado Springs, he'll fix you up. <laughs> kind of like they had a flat tire, you know. So they phoned John up and uh, had a conversation and, and uh, found out he was booked a way out. But they liked everything they heard, so they said, we'll if you have a cancellation, we will come at a moment's notice. We'll just jump on a plane and we'll be there. So they got a call in a few weeks, and off they went. Well, they came back a week later on a honeymoon. I could not understand. What happened in a week to bring this couple from here to being connected, not to where they had been previously, but to where they had never been? That really got my attention. Well, I sat down with them. They told me everything they could tell me. And uh, I finally phoned down and talked to John and found out he had a prayer partner program. You could go down and sit in while he counsels and be part of the prayer team and observe how he helps people this way. So I did that as soon as I could. That was April of 99. And I remember being halfway to Colorado I drove down myself that time and I remembered praying, Lord, if you want me to pursue this area, you open the doors. And I thought, is this a door you're opening? Well, I watched him work with two couples that week and I was amazed with what I saw. And before I left there, I booked into his six-week tutoring program where he takes one person and trains them intensively to help people this way. And so the next summer, uh, summer of 2000, my wife and our three youngest children, we spent in Colorado Springs. And uh, as we prepared to go, my wife and I, uh, we got all of his tapes and materials. We began to study as much as we could before we went down. But as we did that, things began to surface in us that we'd never resolved. And the, the more we tried to work on it, the worse it got. I mean, my wife just wasn't getting it. Any of you guys ever feel that way? <laughs> uh, it's, it's really us, yes, isn't it? Well, we thought what we'll do is we'll go down, we'll learn what this is about in the daytime, and then we'll apply it to ourselves at night. So we did that. About halfway through the training, I finally sat down with John, and I says, John, we're just excited about everything we're learning. We can't wait to get back and help people. But I said, we got stuff that we can't even get to. Can, you, can we sit with you too? So he takes a couple all morning for the week, another couple in the afternoon. He has about an hour and a half, noon hour. He eats a little bit. And then he has local people come in in that time. I don't know how he does all that. But uh, we said, can we book into some of your noon hours? So we did that. Let me take you back about 25 years real quickly, and I'll put all this together for you. 25 years ago, I started pastoring at church in Gory, And I knew at that time I was struggling with some bitterness from the past and some hurts Uh, I grew up in a Christian home. My dad was very driven, uh, quite successful, and I loved to work with him. But when I did, I would just get destroyed by his impatience and his anger. And when I left home when I was 19, I I was pretty angry. And so I knew I had to resolve this stuff. I just found it difficult. Well, we had a large youth group from the beginning, and we took them away for a youth retreat. Uh, not long after I started there and I brought a speaker in and during the course of that weekend he talked in one of his sessions about the parable of the unmerciful servant that's a parable where there was a master and he had a servant, servant owed the master $20 million if you change it to our money today and he went to the servant and realized what he's done and he confronts him and says look you owe me $20 million you pay it up today or you're going to prison you and your family that's how they did it in those days well he confessed to taking it I'll pay it all back just give me enough time well the master knew he could never pay it back so he just forgave him and let him carry on with his work well then this servant who had been forgiven twenty million dollars had another servant answerable to him who owed him twenty dollars And he goes to him and says, "Look, you owe me twenty dollars. You pay it up today, or prison." Well, he he didn't have it either, but he begged for time. I'll I'll pay it back as soon as I can. Just give me time. No, today or prison. So he put him in prison. And the master finds out what this servant had done, and he came to him and said, "How could you be forgiven?" Twenty million dollars, and you can't turn around and forgive twenty. You go to prison. And I heard that parable many times. Read it many times. Heard it preached on. And I always thought, how could anybody be so heartless, so cruel to be forgiven so much, but you couldn't turn and forgive so little until that weekend? God said to me, that's you, Bob. I, I've forgiven your millions of sins. And yeah, I knew there was millions. But you can list 15 things your soul that happened to you growing up. And yeah, that hurt. But you won't forgive. You're the unmerciful servant. And when I realize." I was a person that I really kind of despised, a person who was so merciless. When I realized that, I was immediately able to just forgive my dad in particular and just let all those things go. But I want to show you what happened when I did that. And I want to draw a distinction here between the head and the heart that uh, Gary so well talked about in the last session. And when we're damaged... As children, that pain goes deep into the heart. And we don't know what to do with it. We tend to stuff it, pretend it's not there, bury it. And that's what I did. And I became a very head person. He's talking about the head people over there now. Being intellectually locked. I was a very head person. I just didn't go down to my heart. Because if I went down there, it hurt. It hurt. So I stayed up in my head, intellectual, not in the sense of being smart or intelligent, but in the sense I just didn't go down here. Everything was head to me. And if anybody else tried to get inside my heart, I would just block them. And that's not something I was aware of. And of course, in time, I met my wife, and she's got her stuff. We all got stuff, don't we? Everybody's got stuff. It's a matter of how much we have and how it got there. But she would try to get into my heart and I would just block her I didn't let anybody in there but not aware of it and then I would hear my wife say things like you know I I don't feel love from you and that used to frustrate me because I did love her I I wasn't going anywhere I wasn't planning to go anywhere but you don't feel love for me well what do you do with that well the bible has the answers to life and death and everything in between and so you you go and here's what the bible says about how you be a good husband a good father or you go to a good seminar and i'd look at all those things with my head and i'd say you know what i i, I can do that and i want to do that i will do that and then i would try and reach my wife's heart with my head and then she'd block me. Because you can't reach a heart with a head. Relationship takes place at a heart level. And if we can't do that, something is wrong. Something is blocking. Let me take you back to Colorado now. We're going in to see John halfway through our training. Basically with what you see on the screen, which I wouldn't have articulated that way at that time. But as we went in to see John, he said to us before we come in, he says, I want you to write out every way in which you were ever hurt growing up. And I remember looking at him, and I didn't say it, but I thought, you think I'm bitter. (laughs) And I said, um, John, I've I've forgiven all that stuff. I mean, I... (sighs) I know how my dad hurt me, and I've forgiven all that. And I got along fine with my dad, so why would I write all that stuff out? Of course, you know, John, he's a very gracious man. He just said, well, just write it out anyway. So (laughs) I humored him, and I wrote it all out. And what he did when we got together, he got to know us, and he took my wife in her heart, and he walked around all my roadblocks and he walked right into the hornet's nest where all the hurt was and I began to weep because I began to feel all the things I felt as a little kid growing up who could never do it right could never please my dad I could never make him feel like I was worth anything and all that pain came to the surface and that afternoon that pain got healed and the walls came down And for the first time in 26 years of marriage, I could see my wife's heart with my heart, and I could let her into mine. Now, I'm not saying we had a horrible marriage before that because we didn't have a horrible marriage, but to to relate on a heart level, I didn't know what that was. I just click out. And my wife was frustrated. Well, a lot of things changed for us. We... um, I started to feel things I never felt before. Uh, That was kind of unnerving in some ways. And uh, we came back from Colorado, and I had one goal in life. I wanted to love my wife so she could feel that. And I wanted my kids, when they left our home, to be able to look back and say, you know, it wasn't a perfect home, but we were loved. In fact, when I was in Colorado, I phoned my son up. He was in Texas going to school at the time. And uh, I said, um, Jeff. We talked for a while. I said, Jeff, I want to ask you a question. I said, Do you feel love from me? And he says, Dad, I love you. I know you love me. Everything's fine. And I says, Yeah, I know. But that's not what I asked you. I said, Do you feel love from me? And there was a long silence. And I knew he didn't feel love for me. In fact, he was so angry at me, he couldn't stand to be around me. And I began to realize what my grandfather did to my father, my father did to me, and I did to my kids. Oh, teach him how to do everything right. But to really care about what was going on inside, I didn't know what that was. So it was a life-changing experience for us best summer of my life for the worst summer of my life, getting into my own heart and realizing what's there. And so we came back and we had John come up and do a seminar in Gorya a month later. It was all too much but we had all planned a year ahead of time so we just plowed through it. <laughs> and uh, had about 300 people come for a week and I booked up about six months of counseling out of that and continued pastoring and I pastored half the time and counseled half the time. And then about 10 years ago, if, We felt God calling us to do this on a full-time basis. So I gave the church a year's notice and we resigned and been doing this ever since. And I have to say this is the most exciting thing I've ever done in ministry, helping people find out what is blocking the heart from being able to have relationship. Well, one of the areas that is uh, so basic to so many of the pain, so much of the pain that we can experience is learning what forgiveness is all about. And I have... I say this many times. um, If every preacher in all our good evangelical churches preached about forgiveness and how important it is, for the next year, morning and night, at the end of that time, most of us still will not have dealt with the things that have hurt us, either in forgiveness or dealing with the pain. And I think the biggest reason is we're not shown how and we're not really led through how to do that. A lot of us preachers are good at telling you what to do, but not really showing you how sometimes. So we want to look at this whole area of what it means to forgive. And uh, I want to start off here with a definition of bitterness. And it's this. Resisting the suffering that God has allowed in my life. Suffering leads to hurts, and it often leads to bitterness. He is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. Therefore let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. All of us, here have suffered people suffer on the mission field people suffer for proclaiming christ but that's not the only kind of suffering he's talking about here we all suffer different things how many of you can stand up here and say i've never suffered i've never been hurt no we have all been hurt we have all suffered and there's two sources of suffering basically We have people, family, people around us, hurt us, and circumstances that are just beyond our control. Two sources of suffering. And further in 1 Peter, Servants, be submissive to your own masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable if because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it if when you are beaten for your fault, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer for it, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you are called. The sufferings that come into our lives that we can't control, we're called to those because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. Well, we have a choice. We're all going to suffer. All of us are going to have hurts come into our lives that we can't control, and some worse than others. Two years ago, we were hurt more than we were hurt any other time in our 37 years of marriage. Not not between my wife and I, but with other people. Worst hurt. And we have a choice. What are we going to do with that? I will choose to forgive, or I will choose to resist the suffering that God has allowed in my life, and that's going to lead to bitterness. Somebody very wisely said, You're free to choose your choices, but we're never free to choose our consequences. And there are consequences. What are the consequences? Let's look at some consequences if we choose not to forgive and do nothing. Well, what are the consequences of bitterness? When the disciples were with Jesus, they came to him and asked him a question. Jesus, would you teach us to pray? And he gave us what we know as the Lord's Prayer. Our Father was start in heaven, hallowed be your name. He started off with worship, he ended with worship, and then some basic areas of life to be praying about. And then he went back and he emphasized one thing. And if I didn't know what that was by reading it, and I had to guess, I I would think he's probably going to emphasize worship. It's such a part of our lives. But he went back and he said this, putting it in my own words. By the way, disciples, having said all that, if you don't forgive your brother from your heart, neither will my Father in heaven forgive you. Now, I don't think he's talking there about our salvation. I don't think he's talking about if, if you don't forgive your brother because I've forgiven you everything, you're not going to come into heaven and I'm not going to forgive your sin. I don't think he's talking about that. That would be too inconsistent with the rest of Scripture. But I think he is talking about our relationship with him. We're not going to have a heart connection with him if we have bitterness against somebody because God has forgiven us everything Freely. And he asks us to turn around and forgive. And if we don't do that, then there's going to be a rift between us and God. We're not going to have a right relationship with him. We're still his children. But there's going to be a rift between us. Forgiveness. Our relationship with God is dependent on us forgiving other people. We're going to have a problem there. The second thing is this be given over to tormentors. In in the uh, parable I talked about, the unmerciful servant. In that parable, Jesus turned the unmerciful servant over to tormentors because he wouldn't forgive. He was forgiven 20 million, wouldn't forgive 20. Turned him over to tormentors. They were the prison guards. They were the torturers they were called. Turned him over to them. And then Jesus made another startling statement. He said, so... I will do to you if you don't forgive your brother from your heart. He would give us over to tormentors. Now what does he mean by that? Well, here's an example of what I think he's talking about. In Ephesians 4.31, it says, Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And there's a progression that happens there. If we allow bitterness into our heart, we're going to have outbursts of wrath that we just can't control. You can't stay wrathful forever, so that settles down to a seething anger in the spirit, waiting for the next outburst of wrath. And that leads to clamor. Clamor is arguing, defending yourself, making your point, which leads to evil speaking, takes clamor to the next level. Now you're going to attack with words not just defend, and that leads to malice, which is hatred. I think those are tormentors that we get turned over to. Sometimes we pray, God, I'm so angry. Please take away my anger. And sometimes I think he's thinking, hmm, I think I, I, think I turned you over to that. He wants us to deal with something deeper. Anger is like an alarm bell. You don't start blaming the alarm when it goes off. It tells you something else is going on that shouldn't be. Tormentors. Another huge tormentor is depression. Minirth Meyer makes this statement that, after decades of helping people, that every person without exception who gets hospitalized for depression is angry. And when you trace the anger back, you're going to find something happened, and they use up all their emotional energy, and they get depressed. So many people that come into offices to be counseled are depressed, but hardly ever talk about depression. You just deal with the real issues because depression is a symptom of something else that's not right. So we don't want to get turned over to tormentors. That's not a consequence of staying in our bitterness well thirdly by the way deal with the bitterness and all this other stuff just goes away thirdly we open ourselves up to disease you know when God made us in the garden of Eden he created us body soul and spirit and we're so intricately entwined What, what goes on in our spirit affects our body what goes on in our soul affects our body And what goes on in our body can affect the other way, too. We are very intricately entwined. We're a trichotomy. And by the way, when we get to eternity, he's going to restore that, and we're going to still be a, a, a trichotomy with body, soul, and spirit. A sound heart is life to the body, but envy is rottenness to the bones. Now, whenever I talk about this, sometimes people come up to me and say, so you're saying if I'm sick, I got a bitterness problem. (laughs) No, not necessarily. I'm not saying that if you're sick, you have a bitterness problem or you got unresolved issues. Um, I'm saying a lot of what we can experience in sickness is a result of that. And if you go to 1 Corinthians, uh, where Paul talks about meeting at the Lord's table, he says, some of you, you know, you're going astray here because you're taking the cup and the uh, bread in an unworthy manner. And I think some of that uh, revolves around not having issues right in our hearts, not having a right relationship with God. And what does he say? Because some of you are doing that, you're getting sick. And he said, even some of you have died. Pretty plain in the New Testament and the Old Testament that there is a connection between unresolved issues and what goes on in our bodies. That first seminar, I mentioned that, that John came up and spoke in, in Gory. We had a gal uh, who had been saved for 25 years. She's, she was uh, in her mid-50s, and, and God showed her a lot of things that we can brought a lot of healing to her heart. And uh, that continued over the next months. And, and she had... Um, some pretty major things wrong with her. She had a mitral valve prolapse in her heart. She had angina uh, for a long time and ready to see a specialist. She had allergies since she was um, a young child and asthma since she was three weeks old. And as she went through and cleaned her heart out and allowed God to cleanse and forgave and, and got all that stuff cleaned out. She, she found out she was abused that week by her grandfather, which explained a lot of things. And uh, she went through and dealt with all the fear and anxiety in her life. And she went back to the doctor a few months later for her routine checkup. Worst time of the year for asthma. Her lungs were totally clear. He says, your asthma is gone. He says, your allergies are gone. Her mitral valve prolapse in her heart had healed. And her angina was gone. And that was 10 years ago. And none of it's come back. What we have unresolved in the heart can have a big effect on our body. Do not be wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord and depart from evil, it will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. So that can be a consequence of unresolved issues in the heart. Number 4, if we choose to stay bitter, We'll just never get rid of this pain inside. Jesus came, he said, to heal that. And we'll never get rid of it. Because we need to forgive first, and then Jesus is free to heal that pain. And fifthly, whatever we do, we're going to have an effect on others. If we allow bitterness into our hearts, the people that are close to us are going to be affected by that. And Scripture says we will defile others. We're all going to leave a trail. It's going to be good or bad. So those are some consequences of bitterness. Not dealing with the things that have hurt us. The good news is you don't have to stay there. You don't have to stay there. We can choose to forgive and experience peace, avoid Probably a lot of diseases we would have got. We can have relationships, not subjected to tormentors, and just have peace. Well, how do I resolve hurts of the past? I mentioned that if we every preacher preached on it every year, most of us still won't. And let's walk through how we actually do that. And uh, let's look first of all at the basis of forgiveness. And I think to really get a good handle on forgiveness, we have to go right back to basics. And number one, we have to really understand the holiness of God. God is pure and clean and holy, and he will not tolerate any kind of sin in his presence. Then we have to understand the magnitude of our own sin. God doesn't overlook one sin. He just doesn't. And then we have to understand the blood of the Lord Jesus. And I'm going to show you a diagram here right now. And I share this diagram a fair bit. And uh, this diagram has set so many people free as a basis of forgiveness. And I just want to go through these three things. And as I go through this, I want you to be thinking about these three things. And this is a diagram that kind of shows history, and history is divided up into three 2,000-year periods, basically from creation to the first mark there, which is about the time of the flood, then the flood to the cross, and here we are today. So basically two, uh, three 2,000-year periods. And before there was creation, there was just God. He lived in eternity past. It was just God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They were a uh, triune God, forever existed, co-equal, co-eternal and they lived in peace and harmony and pure holiness and they decided to create and the first thing that God created we know from the book of Job was angels and we know that because it says in Job that as God laid the foundations of the earth the angels watched and just rejoiced can you imagine being an angel and watching God just speak the stars into place But they watched all of that and they rejoiced in who God was and they began to realize what kind of God it was they served. Well, then he went through the days of creation and uh, finally, on the final day of creation, created his prized creation. Uh, They had a little huddle and they said, let's make man in our image after our likeness. And... uh, created them perfect, created them to have relationship with him. And I'm sure many of us have wondered, I often have, just what did Adam and Eve really look like? What color were they? Were they black? Were they brown? Were they white? Well, there they are. So now you don't have to worry about that anymore. You know what they look like. And they had one restriction given to them, just one. Go out and enjoy life. Enjoy me, God said. Enjoy life, everything everything i have made is for you it's like when you have your first child and you especially your first child and you make that room prepared and you get all the toys and the cribs ready and preparing for the arrival that's the way god created everything he made everything and he put man in the garden of eden to rule the earth and to enjoy it and to enjoy him made everything for us only one restriction It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil I don't want you to eat of because in the day that you eat, you will surely die. And death in God's economy is simply being separated from him in relationship and forever. But then he made this pronouncement. On the end of Genesis chapter 1, he made this pronouncement. Behold, everything I have made, everything I have made is very good. That was the end of Genesis 1. We get to the beginning of Genesis 3, and we realize something. Everything is not good anymore. And as from other parts of Scripture, we realize there was a battle in heaven. And, and because of God's holiness, Lucifer, one of God's angels we know by name, he had one wrong thought. And he sinned against God. And it wasn't what we would think of in our terms of sin. It wasn't a huge sin. I mean, he just thought, you know what? I, I think I just want to do my own thing. But we start to see the magnitude of our sin, of, of any sin against God. And we see, the, we see his holiness. He will not tolerate one's sin. So for that one thought, he put Lucifer out of heaven he became Satan and he was destined then for the lake of fire and he would continue to sin. At that point Lucifer became totally and absolutely depraved. And what we mean by depraved there was nothing in him that would cause him to seek after God. He became a God hater at heart. And of course you know what happened. He couldn't do anything to God, I mean God's God and Lucifer just a created angel God's everywhere present at the same time, Lucifer is in one place at one time, he was just an angel so he couldn't get back at God but he was angry at God so he went after Satan's or I'm sorry, he went after God's highest creation to get Adam and Eve to follow him and of course he went to them and tempted them and you're familiar with that and they committed one sin Again, not what we would think would be a horrible sin in our way of thinking. They just picked the fruit of the tree that they were forbidden. And for that one sin, they got the same treatment as Lucifer. They became totally depraved, and they ran from God. In the Garden of Eden, they ran, they hid from God, they didn't want anything to do with him. And if God hadn't have come after Adam and Eve... They never would have turned and said, you know what, we really messed up. Let's go back and try to make a deal with... God. They would never would do that. Because there was nothing in them then that would cause them to do that. They had this sin nature. They were sentenced to the lake of fire. And uh, they had this sin nature, this total depravity just like the enemy. And they started committing sins. And they never stopped. When I was younger, I, I used to think... You know, I think Satan must be kind of stupid. Because if I was Satan and I was caught in that trap what we just explained there, I think I'd be going back to God knowing where my eternal destiny is and he's terrified to go there. I think I'd be going back to God and saying, God, can we we work out a deal? I mean, I, I really messed up. Lucifer, Satan, will never do that. And why won't he do that? Because God doesn't extend him grace to do that. So he won't. But God came after Adam and Eve and gave them the ability to respond to him. They were in a fix. Nothing they could do. One sin separated them, but they kept on sinning then. And so God had a solution. So he came to them with the solution. And he came and told them what he had done. He came, I'm I'm going to kill a lamb. Because I told you the, pay, the payment for sin is death. That's the only payment for sin. So what I did was I want a relationship back with you, but I'm not going back in my word, and I won't compromise my holiness. So I killed a lamb, a spotless lamb. And I'm taking the blood of that lamb, and I'm going to cover your sin. And that lamb is going to be a substitute for you. And if you'll accept the blood of this lamb, I will accept you back into my presence and I will take that blood and cover your sin. And Adam and Eve would have had, well they did have children. They had uh, uh, Cain and Abel that we know by name. And he would have taught Cain and Abel to how to approach God. They would have taught them that our sin has separated us from God. And so here's how you approach God. You bring A substitute death, because it's your death or a substitute's death. You bring a substitute death, and God will accept you. And Abel, yeah, I'll do that. And every time he would approach God in worship, he would bring a lamb. A substitute death. Well, Cain had other ideas. He had his own thinking. And so he came with the best fruit. He could have the the best produce. It wasn't that Cain didn't believe in God. He came to worship God. But he brought the best he could bring on his own works. He didn't bring a death substitute. And God came to him and reasoned with him. Cain, if you, will I not accept you if you just bring it? Bring a blood sacrifice. The only payment for sin is death. And all Cain did was get angry. And the Bible talks about the way of Cain. And today, Cain is in a godless eternity, waiting to be resurrected to be put into the lake of fire because he came with a bloodless sacrifice. Well, time went on, and God raised up um, the, the, um, in the middle period there. The, the law was in, instituted, and God taught the children of Israel how to approach him. And every morning, every night, they would bring a a blood sacrifice, reminding themselves. And every time they bring a blood sacrifice, they would be saying, God, I understand I'm totally lost and I can't approach you without a death substitute. But you've, you've decided to accept a death substitute, so I bring that to you. Every morning, every night, 365 days a year, they brought a death substitute, a death sacrifice. And then... We get into the third 2,000 year period. It was time for God to put an end to all the death sacrifices and sent the Lord Jesus. How's that? Okay. Bring a, God put an end to all the sacrificing by sending his own son, his own son, the Lord Jesus, who lived in eternity past with God because he was God. And when he died, he provided that final death substitute. Now, how is a person saved in the New Testament? Well, no different in the Old Testament. First of all, I have to come to a point of realizing my total lostness. My sin has separated me from God. And finally, receiving his blood sacrifice as payment for my sin. No different than the Old Testament. I'm putting my trust and faith in a sacrifice, a death substitute. So today, we have a choice. We can receive that. We can reject that and get to heaven some other way. Or we can receive that and we'll have a home in heaven. When we receive that, God does an amazing thing. He deals with our sin nature. He gives us a new nature. And we all have everything recorded about our sin is recorded in heaven. And God puts paid on our books. Paid by the blood of the Lord Jesus. And that's how we get to heaven And that is the whole basis of forgiveness. Now, did Adam and Eve deserve that? No. Adam and Eve were put in a perfect paradise. And they sinned against God and they deserved death. But God gave them new life and the opportunity to come back to him totally free. And that's what he offers us. Well, that's the whole basis of forgiveness. Now, Let's move into actually how do we how do I deal with the hurts of my past? Thinking back to I forgive because I have been forgiven. Well, I think the first thing we have to understand here is that the issue that we have to issues that we have to forgive and the issue of forgiveness is not so much an issue between me and the other person, but it's an issue between us and God because God has forgiven us freely our millions of sins, and he wants us to turn around and forgive others just because we've been forgiven. Just because. Well, secondly, list every person who has ever hurt you. Whoops, what's going on here? List every person who has ever hurt you And I would start, have people start with the ones closest. Start with father. I just made up something here. We were driving along in the car, just fooling around, and dad turned around and backhanded me. It's those kind of situations that can really damage somebody. And what did that feel like? Describe the emotional pain caused by the hurt. And so here's a a list of emotional pain words, and I encourage people to go through those because sometimes it's hard to identify what we feel like when something happens And so um, they go through that list, and they're going to hit words. Ah, yeah, apathetic. I wouldn't have thought of that word, but that's exactly how it made me feel or whatever the pain words are. And so put those pain words in there, angry, belittled, hatred. I felt dominated, and I just felt bitter. And all the issues. And then go to mom, same thing. Uh, Some people have step-parents, and... That can cause a lot of pain, so any pain there. Siblings. Some people aren't hurt by siblings or by parents, but by siblings. Then there's friends, teachers, students, classroom experiences, spouse, employer, employees, believers, church situations, pastors, leaders. I've counseled people, and I was on their list. Yeah, we hurt people. Myself, sometimes I can't forgive myself. Sometimes we're angry at God. And I have found so many people are angry at God, but they don't know it. And I think it's because we can't accept it mentally because God's perfect, God's loving. We know all the things in our head, but we get into the heart. Yeah, I really am angry at God. He could have stopped that. They don't really face it sometimes till they get into their heart. So pray through each issue. Forgive the issue. And we must go to the heart where the pain is. And I got a diagram here of this, the head and the heart. We have to get down here where the, where the pain is. It can't resolve heart issues from the head. And we tend to block all that stuff. So we want to deal with it from our hearts. And then let Jesus heal that pain. Now, before I take anybody through a prayer of forgiveness for any issues, I, I, I always take time, and, and I'll take whatever time I think it needs to help them understand what they're praying. Because if you lead somebody through and they're not really knowing what they're praying and they're not in agreement with it, nothing's going to happen. So I walk through this prayer, there's no magic in these particular words, but the concepts that are there. Lord, I choose to forgive. For- forgiveness is, first of all, a choice. We don't wait for feelings of forgiveness before we choose to forgive. Or we never get there. It's a choice. Now, as we choose to forgive, then the feelings will come. But we don't wait for feelings of forgiveness. Lord, I choose to forgive. We forgive because we have been forgiven. Lord, I choose to forgive so-and-so for whatever they did, causing me to feel, you know, we need to be honest about that. The Christian thing to do is not to say, well, I shouldn't have felt that way. No, let's be honest about it. Here's what happened, and here's what it made me feel. Let's be honest with the Lord about it. And you know, when you read the psalmists, they were very honest with God. Even to the point sometimes you think they're crossing a line and being irreverent. But you know what? You don't see God reprimanding them for being honest about what was going on inside. So we want to be honest about that. And the next phrase here, I think, is is the key phrase. I think it's the core issue of forgiveness. And so many people, when they get a hold of this idea, It makes forgiveness a whole lot easier. Lord, I'm willing to pay the emotional pain and consequences that they've caused me, which is kind of a fuzzy idea. What does it mean to pay the pain? Well, it's fuzzy until you take it back to the cross. Here's the Lord Jesus on his way to the cross. And he could have been thinking, I I don't deserve this. I didn't do anything wrong. I don't deserve to pay this. You deserve to pay. But Jesus said and did, I'm going to pay. I'm going to accept the pain and the consequences that you caused me. And I'm going to set you free. When we forgive somebody else, we're doing the same thing. We're saying, you know what? What you did to me, you deserve to pay. It wasn't my problem. But I'm going to pay. I'm going to accept the pain and the consequences that you caused me. And I'm going to set you free. Now, interesting, when Jesus did that at the cross, he didn't hang on to that pain. He released it all. And now he sits at the right hand of the Father, and he's not in pain. When we choose to forgive, then God is free to take that pain from us. We don't hang on to the pain either. But the opposite is true. If we choose not to forgive, I won't accept that pain we'll take it to our grave. We'll keep on pain. We'll keep on pain. I mentioned two years ago, we were hurt by a circumstance more than we've been hurt in 37 years of marriage with some people in our church that basically stabbed us mercilessly. And I taught this for years. (laughs) And when the going really got tough, I realized at one point I was in the balances. And I had to do this myself when it really got hard. And it was so ironic because here I am in the reconciliation business, so to speak. I could not resolve this issue. I I did everything I knew how to resolve this issue. And nobody would resolve it. And I realized if I don't choose to pay, my life is going to go a whole different direction than I want it to go. I was very conscious of that. So we chose to pay. And you know what? It's the only way. But God gives peace. That's behind us now. But that's, to me, the core issue of forgiveness. That concept sets a lot of people free. And then finally, Lord, I ask you to take back the ground I gave to the enemy through my bitterness. And I yield that ground to your control. When we allow something like bitterness in, we give ground to the enemy. Sometimes there can be a real enemy attached to that. We won't go into that now. But we give him a place to operate, and we don't want to do that. And so we take back that ground, and all the other things go away. And We we can't even restore our own soul. The psalmist said, he restores my soul, and we want him to restore our soul. And then we want to ask the Lord Jesus to bring peace. As a counselor, I'm very conscious that I can't help anybody get rid of pain. I shouldn't say can't help them. I can't do anything about their pain. The only thing I can do is take them to the Lord Jesus and allow him to deal with their heart. I'm just a conduit. Something to facilitate that. Lord Jesus, would you bring peace to my heart? I'm going to share one illustration. And I use this illustration a lot because... This was a couple, that they weren't believers. And I came to my office, they, they got my name from somebody and they didn't care about the religious stuff. I had them go through all the tapes before they came in. They didn't care, they just wanted help with their marriage. And this guy was probably the, most, the second most angry guy that I've seen in my office. And uh, found out why he was so angry when he was uh, about seven years old. He had been sexually abused by a, a classmate, right at the play, on the playground at school. And every time he even thought about this or told the story, he would get so angry, I thought he was going to hit me just for telling me the story. And I explained everything about forgiveness. I showed him that diagram, and, and uh, he, he chose not to become a believer. His wife looked at that diagram, and she says, I, I want that, she started crying. And so she became a believer right then. And it was interesting to watch that because uh, her favorite expression coming into my office, was, oh, my God, oh, my God. She she cursed. Every other word was a curse word. And the next day she came in and she says, oh, my, that's wrong, isn't it? I says, what do you mean? It's wrong to say that. I says, did I tell you that? She says, no. She points to my body. She says, I just know it's wrong. And I, I affirmed to her that's the Spirit of God working in her heart. Well, he decided not to become a believer. And I found out why later because he was involved in some things that he didn't want to change. But I shared with him about the pain in his heart, and he was so angry from abuse. I'd be a big part of it. I knew that. And he knew it. And I explained to him that if he would choose to forgive this person and allow God to heal that, he wouldn't have to carry that anymore and wouldn't have to be angry. Well, he looked at that whole thing. He says, you know what? I think I'll do that. I, I'd like to do that. But he wasn't a believer. And I'm thinking, hmm, is God going to heal him? He hasn't trusted him as his Savior. And then I thought, you know, when Jesus was on earth and uh, he would go into a town and it said sometimes the whole town came and he healed them all. And I'm convinced a lot of those didn't end up following him. But they, but they got healing because they, knew, they thought they could and they put faith in him. So I thought, all we can do is ask. Well, he chose to forgive this guy. And uh, by the way, the guy that abused him had died in a car crash 30 years ago as a teenager. So he was gone. But this guy was so angry at him, he'd go stomp on his grave if he knew where it was. And so he prayed, and he forgave this guy. And I had him ask Jesus, Jesus Would you show me what's going on inside? And God showed him a picture, and this freaked him out. Being an unbeliever, this freaked him out. He said, it was so clear, I saw a little boy on a bed, all alone, crying, afraid, and so angry. He knew it was him. And we asked Jesus, Jesus, would you come after he forgave this guy? Would you come and bring peace to that little boy? And he said, Jesus came and opened the door to the room. He didn't come in the room. I thought that was interesting. He just opened the door of the room, and everything relaxed inside. And that pain was gone. And here's the first words out of his mouth, and here's the real miracle. He said, I just realized something. That guy that abused me, somebody abused him first. And he started to have compassion for this guy that he hated for thirty years. Now that's a miracle. I never once told him he had to love that guy. He brought God brought peace to his heart. And forgiveness is something that you're gonna exercise probably this week. We're not done being hurt, folks. We're called to suffer. And I realize, you know, like two years ago, I uh, got hurt more than I've been in the last 37 years. But I want to affirm to you, when we choose to forgive, God will deal with that pain, and we can get peace. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you've given us so many illustrations of your peace. And we think of the time that you were in the boat with the disciples and the storm was raging. And you just, with two words, or a few words, said, peace, be still. And there was a great calm. And perhaps there's some here today, Lord Jesus, that have this just storm raging inside and they need your peace. And you want to bring peace to them. Father, I pray that you will guide each one to find that peace. In the name of the Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, thank you for being here and thank you for being so attentive